0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton and the Boston Consulting Group. Multinational corporations have been sourcing from China for years, but that doesn't mean that all the questions have been answered about how to engage in procurement activities in the world's fastest-growing economy. In this installment of our series of interviews on procurement... David Lee, a partner and managing director at BCG, says that plenty of challenges remain. Among them, finding good suppliers that offer products at relatively low costs, and being willing and able to outsource a sufficient volume of one's business to Chinese suppliers.
1: Well, David, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. As you know, we'd like to talk to you a little bit today about um, China sourcing, and uh, um, as you well know, that's a very important and um, particular issue of interest to, to companies around the world. So can you begin by giving us an idea of how China sourcing differs from sourcing in other parts of the world?
2: I think China sourcing, to a certain extent, is very similar to a lot of the low-cost country sourcing or overseas sourcing. one, um, There are some things that are... Particularly different because China is still going through a lot of transitioning right now, so there's a lot of issues that needs to be addressed. So, for example, Chinese supplies are not always the same capabilities, and the quality level can be highly uneven. Okay. And on top of that, we have a very, uh, intransparent supply market. So we don't have, for example, a lot of the a supply database that you would like to have in the the Western world. So a lot of the companies, when they first come to China, the first major problem that they are facing is where do you find the good supplies? There are definitely a lot of supplies out there, but whether you can find a good one will be a big question. And of course, China is also going through um, a lot of changes as we speak. And Chinese culture historically is slightly different from the Western world. Uh, in terms of language, in terms of culture, in terms of the business norm, because we are still going from a planned economy to a more open economy. So all these things are changing. And I think one of the interesting things a lot of the Westerners will always say is when a supplier say yes, they don't really mean yes. They are just very polite. Oh, okay. Um, well, tell us, tell us something more about
1: something you mentioned a moment ago when you said that the lack of transparency can be a challenge for companies uh, that want to source in China. How do, how do organizations go about surmounting that challenge?
2: Well, um, I personally have actually done a lot of sourcing in the West and also in, in China. In the West, things are relatively easy in terms of identifying the supply market. So you can always go to some database and you can download a list of suppliers that are capable. In China, first of all, there's no such database. Uh, everybody say that they have some database, but our experience has been usually most of the databases about 50% wrong, and then another 10-20% outdated. So you you never really can find a very good supply database to rely on. So a lot of the times you actually need to do a lot of legwork work uh, before you can actually do the sourcing activities. So this becomes very very dangerous and and very difficult for a lot of the people that have no experience working in China. So we have seen um, a number of companies when they do China sourcing, they, they instead of casting a Y-net to probably the, the right supplies, they are all usually following wherever your competitors are sourcing from, go find those supplies. So we see that the good are getting better and uh, the worse are still staying there without being developed. We see that quite often in the automotive sectors. Um, in at the very beginning, five, six, seven years ago, when foreigners start coming to China to source, they all come to the same place. They all source the same parts. Nowadays, with the supply base getting much more capable and getting and the local demand is getting also higher, we see that the supply are being developed to a certain level that we now see some of the suppliers are actually supplying to Western companies for future models, which is a new thing in China. So
1: if, uh, if an organization is um, dissatisfied <clears throat> excuse me, or unhappy with the results of um, their China sourcing programs, um, what should they think about doing and, and to improve their results? And, uh, and secondly, is there any industry against which they can benchmark best practices to try to um, uh, find a good example to follow?
2: Well, I think that's a very interesting question. Um, First of all, when you say that a company is not doing well in the China sourcing, there are usually two issues. Number one is they can't find good suppliers that can supply them at a relatively lower cost. Or number two is they can't move enough volume over to China. I think two things usually are interlinked, but they can be separate. Uh, What we have seen is China has A lot of good suppliers that are capable, and in a recent survey with a number of China sourcing office directors, what we have seen is on average the savings is ranging from 10 to 60 percent, and on average usually is about 20 to 30 percent on most commodities. Other than if if it's less than 20 percent, usually it doesn't really make sense for you to source in China. So definitely China Chinese suppliers do offer significant savings potential. But when we talk to these companies, we ask them why don't you source more from China? The unanimous consensus was because our headquarters is not willing to send more volume. Uh, so if you if you use the baseball terminology, um the, the, the pitcher and the catcher, the catcher is always ready to catch and the pitcher is not ready to throw the ball. Awesome. So this is some some of the issues that we see time and time again, across all industry, across all companies. And and we think that this is the major issues. And of course, if we talk to um, the R&D people, the engineering people, the quality people in the headquarter, there are always reasons why they are not 100% willing to move the product over there. Extending the supply chain, the risk of sh- sh- uh, changing supplies, all these are risks. But the question is, uh how much risk and how much reward each company is willing to take will determine how successful that they are in the china sourcing arena
1: so despite the um despite the the, the challenges that are that exist uh in in china sourcing um uh, i assume that you would say it's it's still well worth well worth it for um for companies to pursue china because they can really reduce their uh
2: procurement costs is that accurate i i think that would be a, a a right statement, but I would probably go a little bit further than that. Um, if you don't go to China uh, if you if you just stay with your incumbent supplies, your competitors will not stay with you. your competitors are going to move to China anyway. so what are you what are you leaving on the table will be a question number two is we all already see that a lot of the suppliers in China are getting to the the kind of scale that is unheard of in the West. And they have the capability of eventually migrating to overseas markets and start attacking your home turf. So having a China sourcing team over there, number one, can actually help you close that gap. Number two, also help you understand the supply market dynamics so that you can plan accordingly. And I think the Recently, BCG has actually worked with a number of clients and a lot of them are expressing concern about all these Chinese, Indians, or, or in the old days, the low-cost country suppliers, that they are uh, emerging very quickly and now they might be changing the dynamics of the markets.
1: Well, that's very interesting. Um, you mentioned a moment ago that, of course, you have a lot of experiences that you can discuss regarding BCG clients, and I know that you would probably reluctant to identify them, but can you think of an example or two of one of your clients who is, which is doing uh, procurement very well uh, in China, and maybe without mentioning the company's name, perhaps you could give an, an illustration of, of why they're doing so well and what kind of steps they've taken in that area?
2: Well, I'll, I'll take a, one very uh, recent example, um, and, and automotive companies actually came to China about five, six years ago to set up the China Sourcing Office. Um, At the time, of course, it was quite innovative because not that many people are thinking about China. But over the years, they have increased their China sourcing volume substantially. It's still relatively small, around 5 to 10% range um, of the total global spend, but it's substantially higher than some of their competitors. And how did they do it? When they actually come to China, instead of just looking at the supply base, they know very very well that in automotive, the stringent requirement uh, in the West, uh, the PPAP, uh, the APQP, all these things are pretty much a foreign language to a lot of the Chinese suppliers. So, as a result, they develop a huge supply development team, focused on helping supplies to get to the standard that up to up to the company standard and also up to the automotive standard. Through this process they were able to develop suppliers that are much more loyal to them number 2 is they are able to work with suppliers that are not locked in by their competitors because they are not the first one move in to china in terms of the the automotive sector so by doing so they actually create a supply base that over the years has has blossomed quite substantially and as i mentioned that right now after 5 6 years they are they are sourcing up to 5 to 10% of the volume from from China, which is quite substantial for automotive companies, given the JIT requirements that you can't actually source everything from overseas. Um, So I think this company basically entered into this particular angle by leveraging supply development.
1: What sorts of benefits is this company particularly seeing from its efforts in China? Have they Uh, Can you tell us how much uh, how much they've saved in terms of costs and other um, other things that they've um, uh, achieved?
2: Well, I I think I think what I can only say is very substantial cost savings. And of course, in automotive areas, what we have seen quite quite um, general in most of the companies coming over to China to source automotive parts in terms of toolings, for example, casting toolings, stamping toolings, Mm -hmm. they can save up up to forty to sixty percent. Uh, from the cost that they would have paid if they were made in the U.S. or in Western Europe. If you're talking about harnesses, if you're talking about uh, wheels, aluminum wheels, um, some of these products are ranging from the low teens to about 30%. So it, it's a wide range of products. really depends on what kind of products you want to source and how well you are sourcing in past.
1: Uh, David, what are what are some of the... the um the misperceptions or misconceptions about um, sourcing in China that, that companies might have before they I- embark on that kind of a, an endeavor or uh, when they're just getting into it in early days? Are there certain misconceptions that firms have about China?
2: I, I think the, the one major misconception is, well, we need to go to China. Let's build a China sourcing office. And once you build a China sourcing, finish a China sourcing office, you, you finish cutting the ribbon, Uh, Everything business as usual. I think we we have seen quite a number of cases um, in a lot of Western companies when they come to China that way. Yes, of course you would you always save money from China. You always increase maybe 10-20% annually. Uh, We have seen a lot of the good companies are doubling every two-three years in terms of their China sourcing volume. And unless it's given that you are starting from a very very small percentage of Uh, turnover being sourced from China, unless you have quite substantial increase in volume like this, you will not have a major impact in your organization. Uh, I always work with some of our clients to give them an estimate. Usually, it would take you years to just get 10% of your volume sourced from China. And of course, you're talking about, on on average, going to China, you can save about 20%. So that is talking about 2% impact. On your, on your on your EBIT, two percentage point, which is quite substantial, but it takes years for you to, to obtain. So the question for a lot of the companies is, how can I go beyond the 10%? How can I go to 20%, 30%? And this will require a lot of the commitment, not only from the CEO, but all the way to the operating level people. And a lot of the disconnect we have seen in the past is, CEO will tell Wall Street about one thing, and then the operating level people have no idea how we come up with all these targets, and as a result of it, they gave up. And we have seen that happen all the time. Are
1: there? Are there? Um, is there anything else, David, that you would like to talk about in terms of giving our listeners an idea of of what the current hot issues are in terms of sourcing, and what the next couple of years is likely to um, are likely to look like in the area of procurement?
2: Well, I think the the major issues that we have seen uh, in the past and probably in the near future will be convincing the headquarter or convincing your technical team that China is a viable source. And I think a lot of companies have done different different ways to achieve that. Um, definitely, there's a lot of internal marketing tool that the China sourcing team leader itself doing a lot of sourcing in China is actually going back to U.S., going back to Europe, to do a lot of marketing or roadshow to tell everybody how great Chinese supplies are. What we have seen is some companies are actually doing uh, what they call China Supply Day, and by by doing that, what they have done is they actually fly a lot of their executives, including the quality people, the the engineering people, uh, to come to China to look at this, look at all these supplies, and then have a conference. Sourcing conference in China. Um, one company that I have seen actually flown in about 70 people all over the world to China to work to meet with 200 selected suppliers. And through this these uh, week of meetings, they have uh, arranged about 400 face-to-face meeting one-on-one with with some of these suppliers. And as a result of these activities, they were able to increase the the amount of sourcing. And I think, um, given that I'm based in China right now, um, a lot of things doesn't really surprise me anymore in China. But I, I remember when I was still working in the States, uh, a lot of the, the image of China is, is a lot very backward, uh, it's not very automated, uh, machinery is rare, and you, you basically have a lot of sweatshop working. And I think this is far from, from the truth right now. A lot of suppliers are extremely capable, um, highly automated, and as a result, by bringing a lot of the decision makers coming to China to see for themselves, it actually opened their eyes and changed the perception. And you cannot uh, underestimate the impact of changing the unbelievers, uh, the impact of that to the entire organization. And by changing the attitude, the entire organization start moving towards the right direction.
1: Well, David, thank you very much. This conversation has been very enlightening. Uh, We've been speaking with David Lee of the Boston Consulting Group. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Part 5 of our series on procurement. In the next segment, Wharton Management Professor Marshall Meyer will talk about subcontracting and product quality in China. For more information about the Boston Consulting Group, visit bcg.com. For business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.